Welcome to Mission Driven, a conversation about how startups leverage their social mission as competitive advantage. Mission Driven is hosted by Better Ventures, a seed stage venture fund in Oakland, California, backing entrepreneurs using science and technology to address the world's biggest challenges. You can find us on the web at better.bc and on Twitter at Better Ventures. Greetings, everyone. Rick here from Better Ventures. Just wanted to introduce this episode because it's part of a series we're doing on electrification. As many of you know, the climate crisis is one of the most important issues of our day, and addressing it is nearly existential for our society. The good news is we have the tools we need. It's solar and wind and storage. These things are now at or below cost parity with traditional dirty energy resources. So we need to move this stuff out there into the world by the trillions of dollars, and we need to build the software to manage it all and electrify just about everything. That's buildings, that's mobility, that's industry, and the grid itself needs a software upgrade to be resilient enough to handle all the new supply as well as the new demand from electrifying everything. So we're going to be digging into this with entrepreneurs and investors and answering the burning question now that the hardware is available and we're moving it out there into the world, what's the role of software? electrification. Hope you like it. Hi, Robin Beavers, Blueprint Power. How's it going? Good morning. Good morning. Is it morning there? Yes, still morning. morning. Yeah. And you're in New York, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful day here in Oakland and uh, chilly. uh, So it's maybe similar to your weather, but uh, beautiful and excited to dive into this conversation. Um, Why don't we start with just a bit about Blueprint, what it is, why it's special. And then I'd love to rewind and hear about your background and how you got here. Great. Yes. So Blueprint Power, we have built a technology platform that helps buildings generate flexible capacity. And then we sell and monetize that flexible capacity for the building owners. So the outcome is they have new revenues, we're decarbonizing their buildings, and we're just preparing them for a future of uh, valuable grid interaction for buildings. Got it. And... I think a lot of people are familiar with demand response. How would you describe it as different or similar to demand response? Sure. In a way, it's like demand response 3.0, perhaps. So um, on the actual ability to manage load, uh, we look at load management. We actually look at helping to orchestrate things like batteries at buildings or solar Mm -hmm. panels. um, And even EV chargers are Mm -hmm. nice sources of flexible load. So that's kind of a new modern take on demand response, which historically has been, you know, turning off lights or shutting down elevators. This is a way to make it more comfortable at the building. And then on the other side, you know, demand response is kind of one market type that's mm-hmm. out there. There are other grid markets, including ancillary service markets. You know, eventually you're going to get into some exciting, you know, energy arbitrage opportunities. So you have more options on the marketplace side and you have more options on how you're actually responding to these market events. Right. And in a way, would you call it also supply response? Because are buildings able to actually send energy to the grid as opposed to just stop using it? Exactly. Yeah. I think the energy industry always is in the need of rebranding the things we're used to talking about. But yeah, it's the grid. The buildings are, you know, a meaningful contributor to the grid in this, in this current opportunity set. Right. And why is that important? 
Uh, that's important because of all the things we love, such as you know, large-scale renewables coming online, the electrification of transportation, all these things, these massive scaling events actually uh, cause the grid to you know, have some trouble at times um, due to the intermittency or you know, power quality issues. So buildings can help solve those pain points mm-hmm. for the grid. So the grid can keep accommodating more large-scale renewables, more EVs, more, you know, all of those things. So if we want more of it, we need to, we need to focus on, on the grid. Got it. So at risk of sort of stating the obvious or re- repackaging what you said to simplify, it's your buildings are becoming kind of participants in, in the grid. And with all the distributed energy resources, instead of like a standard predictable load of energy being produced by the utilities, you now have all these different things generating and using power in an unpredictable way. And the grid is kind of buckling under that. And, <laughs> and you guys help bring things up and down to, to even that out and make it all work. Is that close? Yes. Yeah, exactly right. And then as a result, you can unlock new revenue streams for the buildings themselves mm-hmm. too. Um, mm-hmm. So that, of course, then drives more demand from the real estate community to, yep. to want to do this. So it may before have been that, you know, if you put in storage and put in solar, you can lower your energy bill, you can store energy at night when rates are cheap and you can you know, use it during the day. But now you're saying not only that, but you can actually send it to the grid and sell it at a time when it's most valuable and needed and make more money and even better economics on putting in these systems. Exactly. Yep. When we started Blueprint about four years ago, it was entirely driven by the economics for mm-hmm. the building owners. Like the grid mm-hmm. grid markets um, across the US were starting to accommodate this kind of contribution from buildings. Yep. And it was very wonky and very nuanced from like the energy world perspective. But we wanted to go show the real estate owners, look, there's money on the table for you right there if you do XYZ and we can help you do that. And so it was initially very economics driven for them. Of course, we were excited about the fact that it would help lead to the positive trend of electrification and more renewables, but it was all about the dollars and cents. Um, And that's still the case now. But of course, there is also a a growing focus on, you know, the decarbonization aspect of all of this too, for the grid and for the buildings themselves. Mm -hmm. And, And you're primarily a software product, but you also have a box of some sort. Can you talk about that? Sure. It's, um, this is all incredibly data driven, of course, in order to know um, how to dispatch behind the meter assets and what's happening. You, need, you know, you need the market signals, you need to know what's going on at the building, you need to go know what's going on across your network of buildings. You need data. And it's really hard to get data out of buildings still to this day for a number of reasons. So we ended up building our own way to get our data. <laughs> um, that box can communicate very securely as well to our network. So it's, it was sort of a surprise for us. We didn't anticipate building that when we started the company, but now it's a really competitive and important part of our platform. So in order to do the data science magic of making these buildings most valuable and useful, you need the input sort of source data to work with. And yes. that's why you, you created a box. And then would you consider yourself a software company or a systems company? Or how would you put it? Yeah, we, you know, our technology enables these new investment and building strategies. So yes, we're a software and technology company, but it's not like a subscription service where it's just, you know, 
I'm paying a subscription and it's like this mindless use of your technology. It's really helping enable our clients to transform their entire portfolio. So we grow across their portfolios. We help deliver more than just the technology service itself. So I, I think we're more of a holistic partner, I have to say. Um, in one ways, we're just like a, a revenue generator <laughs> for our clients. But yes, I've always, despite the fact this is my, you know, my baby, I've always had a hard time perfectly pinning us down in one category. Right. Well, you're doing it. That's what matters. Uh, <laughs> okay. And you were acquired by BP. Yes. Yeah. Just about a year ago. Yeah, so it gives you an opportunity to really scale this thing in a way you might not have been able to as an independent company. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of strategic alignment. Got it. All right. So let, let's wind back, cover kind of how you got here and your background. So you have an uh, undergrad engineering degree, Stanford business degree, wound up at Google. You want to you cover, cover some of that? Sure. Yeah. So I, a lot of my uh, career and education was all in the Bay Area. Uh, civil engineering was my undergrad at Stanford. And um, it's still, I think, foundational to me and, and uh, it was important. When I was studying there, you know, I was learning a lot about how buildings were designed and constructed and, and, and built. Um, but I was reading a lot about uh, sustainable design and you know, the cradle to cradle movement was just getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of really fascinating thinking that was kind of like the glory days or the heyday of like, let's think about holistic design and how the built environment plays a role. So that I wanted to bring those two things together. And so at Google, where I was part of an special assistant team for uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, they had me think about their global offices they were building out. They were just about to go public. They were just about to you know, create that culture they were so famous for. And so I helped kind of represent them on those projects and snuck in a lot of green building design features that they loved and wanted more of and, you know, were supportive in me going and starting Google's first green operations team. And then I went and green Google for a few yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I think anyone driving along listening to this podcast is doing a bit of a double take. So you essentially ground floored Google and were there working with the founders uh, in the early days as they were looking at their bank accounts, <laughs> getting larger and larger <laughs> and whispering in their ear about, about clean energy and greening the company. And you had the sort of uh, the leverage to, to sort of pull that off. That's pretty incredible. Yes, it was. And I'm, I'm forever grateful. It was that kind of place that supported, you know, team members and employees like that. Um, and it was fun. I mean, we, I worked, you know, with the global real estate team. I worked with the data center team. I mean, at one point we were thinking about redesigning the motherboards to be more efficient. You know, it mm-hmm. was, we were looking at everything and it was very much because of the understanding from Larry and Sergey about not just the mission-driven oriented nature of it, but you know, one of the things I like to say is I think Google won like the search engine race out of uh, amongst the crowd because they could build data centers, they could build more data centers faster than mm-hmm. everyone else. And that's because at some point Sergey figured out the cost driver of data centers wasn't the square footage to rent and put the servers on. It was the kilowatt hours you're consuming. Yeah. So that that, you know, they, they had nuanced understanding of things like that. So it was, yeah. it was the right place to be. So you could say from the very beginning of your career, you've been focused on the built environment and clean energy. And, and you sort of got into this at a time when that was emerging. And now you're in a position to be just right in the thick of it all as it's all maturing. 
Yes. I used to say it was good job security because, you know, there's always a lot of things to fix in the world of energy, but the momentum it it has now, um, all of us who've been at it this long, you know, there's been a few booms and busts and ups and downs and like the kind of the global renewable energy industry, mm-hmm. which makes sense because it's so nascent and that's what nascent industries do. But it's at this really fascinating point now in terms of the momentum from the capital side, the demand from all different types of industries and users and like the awareness of it. And of course, the um, kind of the regulatory environment, which will always be volatile is, you know, it's sort of in a, a fascinating place right now that we haven't seen before. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And had you not done all this stuff, you wouldn't be in the position to, to really be, be one of the central players. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all part of my plan. Is there much to talk about in terms of Lennar and energy and any of that inform your position? Sure. Yeah. No, I it actually, I, when I look back, it, it does seem like there's a thread. I mean, no, Google jump started my passion for, for energy and its connection to the built environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after Google, I dove squarely into the energy space. So I went, to work in in Copenhagen for Vestas, which was wonderful, but and I still love wind. I love wind, but those were you know you're building massive power plants, and mm-hmm. I was uh, still. And this is also the Google part of me, you know, the networks. I I felt like distributed networked energy had a role to play. So then I came back and started focusing on things like microgrids at NRG, and then you know that was fascinating because when you start thinking about distributed generation and microgrids. And every project or conversation I was in, a real estate developer would like poke their head in or would pop up and want to know more. Because it really was, when you think about distributed generation, it, it is kind of intertwined with, with buildings and land and that's real estate. So uh, when I met the Renlinar executive team, they had also seen that from the opposite side. They were real estate. You know, They build the largest number of homes in the US, but they do a lot of other things. And they realized that energy was really important to them and also could be a potential risk in the future. So that's when we were able to get to know each other. And um, Lennar really helped me understand that world, um, which mm-hmm. was critical in my, my path towards, towards starting Blueprint. And what motivates you to focus on clean energy and the transition? You know, if you're doing buildings in undergrad and then, you know, to Google and, and putting in solar, like, you were pushing it from the beginning, but what, what's behind that? Did you have any sort of experience or some sort of a fascination or what, what's underneath all of this? I, growing up, I, the usual, I love being outside and, you know, you love the natural environment. So, you know, you want the built environment to not just respect that, but to learn from it. I mean, mm-hmm. nature is like the best functioning system we, we know. and. I, I'm uh, the engineer in me is often frustrated that we can't build those kind of elegant systems. Mm-hmm. There's lessons right in front of us. <laughs> um, so I, I think from that nature, was, from saying. nature. Yeah. yeah. And just, I think that's what kind of got me going. And then, you know, once you start realizing the abundance of solar and like, why not try to capture clean, abundant things um, mm-hmm. to put to work? Um, and I don't know. It's just, it's a, you keep seeing that you keep seeing opportunities where there's a better solution, you know, that could have better externalities, better outcomes, more profitability, all of those things. Mm-hmm. When they're aligned, you're like, all right, people, let's do it. Um, so that's, I think, 
constantly what fuels me. There's like an endless supply of that in the energy industry. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, so. and you mentioned nature. Uh, where did you grow up and, and were you around? To what degree were you around nature? I moved around a lot, but most of my like childhood was in the Boston area and we lived in like a really like rural leafy town mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. spent my summers outside in Maine. You know, mm-hmm. it was really gorgeous. So I'd say I was in the woods a lot. <laughs> so am I gathering that you saw the built environment as sort of like this synthetic thing plunked down in nature and not really working with it? And that what you're doing now is more like treating these things like part of the part of an ecosystem to respond and participate in a more organic way. Yeah, I you know, I I walk through cities. I mean, I love I love urban settings too. I mean, that also, you know, it was motivating for me, but yeah, if you could just walk through, you know, a city block and think of buildings as these kind of living breathing things just the same way you would walk through a a trail in mm-hmm. a forest. And they can be if you let them. <laughs> Right. And that's a tall order. And you're sitting in New York City where there's a lot of just big skyscrapers that were plunked down at the, you know, in the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Moving to electrification. So first, kudos, because I think buildings and the built environment is one of the more challenging things. Like we're excited about the different categories that are electrifying transportation and mobility and the built environment and heavy industry and the grid itself, its agility and its modernization. And when we look at like what's investable in buildings, um, there's a lot of like HVAC control things and H- uh, AI type things. And so many of them came on the scene with great fanfare, but didn't necessarily really succeed. And so we look at those and think, gosh, you know, how can we invest in this? But you've, you've found something that's like huge, right? And central and important enough that, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world acquired you and wants to go big, big with it. So, so, so kudos for that. Say a bit about like our central question here is the, the role of software. What's the role of software in electrification? You're really a software company at the end of the day. How, how would you say it, the role of software and the importance of software in the electrification movement? Yeah, I think the, the role of software is to help connect siloed pieces. So the, the reason why I think we were different and you know, we're able to chart this path is because we were following the money. (laughs) It was like, where is the revenue locked up across the grid? And how do we unlock that for the building owners? Because that is compelling. Real estate owners Mm -hmm. love making money and Mm -hmm. we want to go get them that money. So they'll actually continue to invest in the decarbonization strategies. It's like a win-win scenario. And so the, the software is there to play many roles, including unearthing the data, like we said earlier, to understand what we have to work with, to communicate with the markets, to understand what they're willing to pay for what we have, and then also communicate that to the owners, you know, through front-end software um, and, you know, making sure they know what's happening in a transparent way. Mm-hmm. So in it's there to help bring these worlds together in a digital environment so that you can unlock that value. Uh, right. So that for us that's that's the role it plays. Of course it it also hosts the intelligence that we build to orchestrate these things and make all of it happen. But when I think when I step back and I think, you know, it's really just it's opening up the communication channels and making it easier. It's reducing the friction that is traditionally there to have our owners even want to go access this money, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a really 
common phrase we hear, or I, I heard at the beginning is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Like, even if that value is there, is it like worth it for me to go through the headache of doing this? So that you want to make sure you reduce that headache as much as possible through automation and, you know, and, and software and technology. And then you got to make sure it's really worth it. <laughs> yeah. that, that dollar is worth it. So um, it really just helps make the juice worth the squeeze. <laughs> is it fair to say that, you know, without the software and the type of software management type software that you're doing, that these buildings would be stuck with essentially just putting solar and storage in and using it to the best as best they could. But the software layer you're adding enables that thing to become like a, a nimble, dynamic participant in the whole broader grid ecosystem. Yes. Yep. And, and without and it, software, that, that wouldn't be possible. Exactly. The software helps it become more nimble, but it also helps it become part of this new kind of network that could actually be more valuable for yeah. it too. So if your individual building is able to be aggregated across a portfolio or you know a broader network of buildings, that means you have more capacity. That means that capacity could have more value to the markets. Yeah. And then you start understanding that you know this building is could be worth more together than than on its own. So right. that's another aspect of the the software layer. Yeah, and so and talk about the scale that you're operating at. I think you said somewhere in your on your website it says 100 million square feet. You've got these huge real estate companies that own buildings and are installing this stuff, and you're helping to orchestrate it. Like, how meaningful is that in the scheme of things of the the grid and its ability to, you know, take on all these resources and function well over time? So I, I'd say that distributed, like the the type of capacity we're talking about to be built up by turning these buildings into these dynamic players is still much smaller compared to obviously the installed capacity of, of large scale right. wind and solar. It's, right. it's still early days in terms of it being meaningful scale. I think that tipping point is coming very soon though. Uh, a, because just the fact that demand response is even a common term for, right. you know, a lot it's, of people, not just you and me. I mean, we're like, we're nerds, so we know it, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it, it's mentioned in media articles, you know, you can just tell it's going mainstream. Those little like tidbits are what always signal to me that, you know, we're turning the corner here. Right. And then is this more generalizable? Like, like we think about um, the current situation as that we kind of finally got what we wanted and solar and wind and storage are, are inexpensive. They're competitive with natural gas. They're on a path to be half the cost of, of natural gas. But that is like hardware infrastructure, essentially. And that now that that's working and it's cost effective and it pays, you know, we need to roll that stuff out in the trillions, even tens of trillions of dollars to save our civilizations. And that it's when, as we do that, it's going to create problems that are going to need to be addressed by things like what you're doing. So could you maybe generalize your specific solution to the built environment and the grid to more of a broader con- thought, broader thoughts on elect- the role of software and electrification and, and the things I just said about the price of, of hardware coming down? Sure. Um, so the grid networks, that it, this is very US focused, but you know, it, it, I think it can be generalized across many countries in the world. The grid is like kind of one of the last remaining analog networks in terms of like 
large infrastructure networks that we're used to. You know, obviously, the usual example of telecommunications kind of modernizing and evolving to not just be better, a better service, but to house and be a platform for the creation of very valuable businesses and new new technology ecosystems. Uh, the grid needs to do that <laughs> to do everything we're talking about. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways to tackle that with software, whether it's focusing on the grid itself or the things that are are using and supporting it. So I think that's to me we're what's just finally kicking off here. And so you need that's to me, that's where we're at. So I I think generally we're seeing the historic transformation of the last holdout of mm-hmm. like an analog network. Right. So So when we say analog networks, we're all thinking about like in the movies when there's some guy sitting in front of a big panel with some red lights that look like Christmas <laughs> lights or something. And they're like sliding a lever and going yeah. like, oh, sector three is getting hot. Yeah. Right. It's that analog. And some of these big production energy production facilities still look have like those. that to some yes. degree, right? But, yep. but what, you're, what you're bringing in the broader world of software is bringing is this like communication and digital layer on top of all that to make what was entirely analog become digital and responsive and manageable by software and all of that stuff. Yeah. And that will be increasingly important as despite um, the amazing progress with the growth of renewables, you know, I think we all are aware we're in a highly volatile world now, geopolitically, like geopolitics matter again for energy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like a, a quiet decade or so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, you want to have, be able, you want to be able to handle that volatility, either yep. keep the lights on or to take advantage of it, you know, and volatility can sometimes mean good things too. Outside of what you do, um, do you see other? What are the other like most shining examples of the important of, of like the important role of software in in electrification and say uh, mobility, and heavy industry, and um, sort of the, the, the people who manage the grids? I mean, you're you're contributing to people who are managing the, and coordinating with them. Yeah. But I think the people who run the grids also need this stuff. Like, is there other like home run software out there that you see playing an important role? You know, outside of your area. Yeah, I think um, anything tar- helping and supporting the network operators mm-hmm. is probably still un- untapped. And not untapped, but there's still a lot of work to do there. And mm-hmm. that should be a massive opportunity. Obviously, EV, like transportation and mobility is a parallel, entwined, intertwined um, growth area here that... Mm-hmm. Um, it's highly relevant, and there, you know, there's, a, I think, a ton of opportunity there for different approaches to mm-hmm. supporting that that world. But yeah, I think there's always room for helping utilities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're still uh, slow to modernize in a lot of ways for different reasons. But yeah, I think if someone wanted to tackle the creating a network, a modern network operations. Platform. Um, that's a technology problem. That's also a, a regulatory problem-solving challenge. But uh, yeah. that could all be very good. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. The thermostat behind you just lit up, and it said yeah. seventy-two. So could you reach back there and turn that down to sixty-eight? Yeah, I think that's too hot. <laughs> that's too hot. <laughs> oh, geez. All right. Anything else on electrification and software? Otherwise, we'll turn to your your social mission and, and how that comes into play uh, for your for your business. 
No, I just, I think there's, there's still a, a wealth of opportunity for entrepreneurship and, you know, innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the more great talent and problem solvers we have working on it, the better. So mm-hmm. all your entrepreneurs out there, it's a call to action. <laughs> you can be the next Robin Beavers. Uh, okay. So let's turn to your social mission. So a, a big thrust of this show and our various discussions, independent of electrification is around how uh, social mission, environmental mission of, of founders and entrepreneurs is important and that it's not, you know, something to be overcome as a, like a hindrance, but it's actually a, a superpower and it's a competitive, can be a competitive advantage. And so curious, you know, if you can dig into that a little bit, you know, you've, you've built a team and a culture, you've sold to big customers, you've raised money, you've exited, you're managing in a big company that may not have the identical social mission as yours coming in. How do you think about the role of your social mission as, as an advantage? And is it, and, and like, and how so? Yeah. So at a high level, our mission has remained the North star for what we're doing and how we build things and how we sell, how we hire with any startup, but certainly any startup in a like working on energy transition topics, <laughs> uh, it's a fast-moving, fast-changing environment. So sometimes it can often feel a little chaotic, or you know things are changing, but that mission is always there and doesn't go away. And that has helped, uh, I think, you know, Blueprint and my ability to to lead Blueprint, you know, kind of just navigate through a lot of a lot of the changing fast moving environment and we talk about that with our team a lot you know part of the mission oriented and cultural aspect of of blueprint is you have to be excited about change and that volatility but you know there's that consistency of what we're doing the mission is always there so for for me it's been helpful in that regard i think too i mean the reason i started it when i did was because there is that there was that opportunity. There was money out there to go get. <laughs> and it was a very viable, attractive business. And because of my understanding of you know, energy, both from a technological, but from a market side, and, um, and then my growing understanding of the real estate industry, I felt that I saw that opportunity sooner than others and that I was the best person to go pursue it. And it was about building a, a, a viable business. And that that to me was really important. It wasn't just a mission-oriented company. It was, you know, it gave me the the advantage to go build a, a valuable business. So, and I think that's what a lot of people are understanding. I think that's why there's, you know, tons of capital from a venture perspective, from infra, you know, private equity, private infrastructure funds. They see there's value there, and they need to understand it so they can go get it. So that again, that's when I I feel like it's a different moment in time for this industry because people see the value there, yeah. the financial value. Talk about your team and your culture. Um, I think you said I caught in there somewhere something about you know people have to be really on board with the environmental mission here to to be part of the company. They need to be excited about it. But say more about that. Like have you have you specifically nurtured that and. What does that get you in terms of the performance of your business? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of um, 
attributes and qualities we look for, you know, for the team. You don't have to be a, a diehard environmentalist to join Blueprint by any means. That's not part of the <laughs> recruiting criteria. Um, but obviously, we look for for problem solvers, for business builders, and, and people who want to work hard at solving this really difficult problem. I mean, what we do is hard. So I think the main driver and um, so that solutions-oriented mindset is critical. And it just, I think, comes part and parcel. If, if you're going to work that hard at solving this type of problem, it usually means you, you care a little bit about what it actually is. And so it, it's sort of like a, a natural self-selecting kind of talent pool. But we've had a lot of awesome team members come who hadn't been in the space before, but you know, bring a great skill set that they've used to do similar things in other industries, but now, you know, wanted this kind of challenge and and our mission, you know, our want to be part of the solution. And, you know, that's also really exciting to see too. Um, it's a really exciting talent pool available to this industry now because um, it's more diverse and broad reaching from different industries. You see a lot of tech talent that you know spent the last 10 years helping grow tech companies um, come and now really want to help grow climate tech companies. I, I think mm. that's one of the best trends ever. So it's really good. Yeah. And so um, let's see. So as far as hiring, well, and, and broadly, like, um, can you think of an example or a time or a person that you hired or like a motivation? It sounds like you're getting people who might be uh, expert in say marketing or sales or um, engine, software engineering who weren't in the industry but are excited about it because of the meaning that the, the job brings. Um, can you think of an example of that? Um, were you able? Are you able to recruit people that might make a lot more that you would have thought of as out of reach? You know, but you're able to get them because you can swagger and talk about the amazing things you're doing and how you're saving the world and it's meaningful and their life's going to be so much better even if you don't have like the same comp package or maybe you do have the same comp package, but thoughts on that? Uh, examples? Yeah, I think we have attracted a lot of different types of team members who have, you know, previously come from banking or um, you know, more traditional like investment platforms, um, or yeah, like different types of of tech platforms. But it, it's less like, oh, make a sacrifice for our mission. It's actually it's not really ever discuss it's that's not really how it feels for anyone involved it, it's mm -hmm. it's about i think people love who join the team love what blueprint is doing not that just it's mission oriented but it's it's ambitious and it requires a lot of everyone who comes so everyone you know feels like they're part of that solution mm -hmm. and i i think that's always important for employees like you you can connect what you're doing to the outcome of mm -hmm. of the company and so they'd rather work for you than yet another software company that isn't doing such a cool thing, perhaps. Yeah, that's what we we hope. We we want mm. everyone to be really excited about coming. Yep. All right. And how about um, with customers? You know, you're dealing with these huge real estate companies. I imagine some of them are like REITs. Some of them are big private companies yeah. that own millions of square feet of buildings. And you're walking in with a, a, a sort of an economic value proposition, right? You can make more money from your buildings by greening them. But yeah. are you also getting, you know, maybe in particular the younger people at these companies that are more receptive than they would be because they're also excited about clean energy and the transition and what you're doing and they get more excited than if you were selling some other widget that makes them the same amount of money? I think 
so yeah, so the uh, the types of roles and positions at real estate companies are changing to include like ESG and sustainability focused uh, team members, especially the the larger ones like the ones we target. There's also new roles. You know, the real estate industry uh, has also been focusing on modernizing their business too. Um, you know, that's like the whole prop tech category. In fact, Blueprint's initial, like a lot of our initial um, investors were from the prop tech category mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. like climate, climate tech hadn't even been coined yet. We were, we had a mix of uh, like clean energy focused investors, prop tech, and, you know, some traditional tech. And so, so now large real estate companies, you have folks thinking about new technologies and innovative approaches to expand and grow their business as well as the ESG focus. So often we were we we talked to both of those camps because they're not usually the same team. And then we also talked at the C suite. It's uh it's it's fascinating. It you you need to be able to talk to all those audiences to make a sale here. Cause it's it's not just what's the new operational efficiency we're delivering and therefore it's like the asset manager or the building engineer making mm-hmm. the call. It's do you believe your real estate portfolio could make, you know, a new investment in, or do you believe you can grow the value of your real estate portfolio mm-hmm. by becoming grid participants? Mm-hmm. And that that's when they're like, oh, that's an interesting conversation mm-hmm. that I want to have. <laughs> yeah. And that's largely economic. But do you also yeah. sense that they lean in a little harder because it also feels good and they want to be doing this? Will that feel good? aspect, which I think you're alluding to on the kind of sustainability ESG side, that's now um, not just feel good need, it's, you know, investor pressure. So Mm -hmm. that's also economic. There's actual economics attached. It's less, um, it's fuzzier, but there's financial value associated with your ESG improvements now. So that always helps. Thank God. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, Let's touch briefly on gender, um, maybe in order to you know avoid the, the politics of working for your current employer. Like in the past, we see it as a, a pretty white industry, a pretty male industry, clean energy in general, and yet uh, you are a female female founder. What's been your experience and any advice you have for uh, aspiring female founders out there? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so I've for most of my career often been the only woman in the room. So that is what it is. Um, but that's something always that I love focusing on in different ways and um, in terms of helping encourage young women to pursue engineering studies and, you know, helping advise on early careers around this. So I, you know, that's, that's important. I also think it's important to have, you know, leadership, representational leadership to me, that's been, you know, it, it just, it really helps to have, uh, you know, a lot of leadership representing the types of diversity employees you can hire. And I actually have to say the most exciting, like um, our parent company, BP, has an amazing array of like kick-ass like female executives. It's, I'm constantly in awe of a lot of the executives I meet globally. And it's, it's really... I actually, I've never worked for a company that has pulled that off so at such scale and such a global scale. So that's exciting. And um, I think we just need to keep doing that. 
but yeah, it's still hard. I mean, I was actually in a a hotel this week in Silicon Valley and still, you know, a business hotel and was still the only woman at the breakfast. Jeez. Uh, I just couldn't, it still, it still surprises me. Is it changing at all? Uh, do you ever find yourself in a, in a room with uh, four other women in clean tech and thinking, um, wait, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, they're not the only one in this uh, one situation. Well, at Blueprint, that happens a lot in our own yeah, team. Good. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, we, we work a lot of our customers. We have a, you know, a lot of awesome clients where often there's a, a, across all on all sides of the table. You'll, you'll find a lot of women in diversity. So yeah, it happens more and more. Um, yeah. But you know, there's so much to do. Yeah, so. long way to go. Well, people like yeah. you are helping to, helping to move things in the right direction. And we just need a lot more of it. So you people out there who are not white males, let's get into this industry and change it. All right. Uh, any other topics? Uh, we, we talked about regulatory when we were sort of warming up for this. Um, is there a meaty, a meaty topic to discuss there that, that no, uh, I, people will be interested in? Um, I, it's just advice. Um, I think it's um, <clears throat> it's definitely more of a focus these days for many people than you know when I started my career in this world. Uh, I tried to like avoid the regulatory side. It was just you know it's so annoying. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna focus on the technology side, and it was very like let's try to work around the policy or the regulatory headache and just break through it with like a straight up technology play. And you can't do that in this space. Um, you cannot ignore it. And All right. What's an example of regulatory that, that you just can't ignore? Well, whether you're allowed to put a solar panel on a roof or not, mm-hmm. or whether you are allowed to sell back to the grid and get compensated for it, mm-hmm. or can you get the data you need to do something? Mm-hmm. All of those. <laughs> those are just and some just because you own the building doesn't mean you can just do that. Yeah, oh. yeah. Huh. So um, it is still complicated out there. So I for that's just something everyone has to embrace, mm-hmm. whether it's investors or entrepreneurs or or policymakers. Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's try something a little different here. Like I, I I have to say, like I think what you're doing is so heartening, and it really gives me gives me hope when I think about all these that we finally have the building blocks to deploy clean energy at scale, and we're like tantalizingly close to being able to just <laughs> produce trillions of dollars of it, and and you know green every building in the world. But at the same time, you know, like there's just doom and gloom all around us. And it's hard, you know, to get up in the morning and think about you're going to get into that polluting car or whatever it is and go to that polluting building. So maybe can you do a little therapy here? Uh, <laughs> talk about how, you know, what you're doing looks like in, in 10 or 20 years when you extend it all, you and the rest of the industry extend it all out. You know, what does the world look like in terms of buildings that can make us all feel like, okay, this could actually work and we're not all going to be, be taken down by another hurricane. I would hope in 10 to 15 years, there's no anxiety about if my neighborhood gets one more EV, like our grid will go down. <laughs> or, right. Right. Um, or, or, the, or here, things will catch on fire. Yeah, or ca- yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, there needs to be a more... Like it has to become more part ingrained in us. Like we, 
almost take things for granted again, you know, about how things are working, how we mm-hmm. have, you know, a modern, reliable system to support all the things we want and how we want to consume things. And mm-hmm. it shouldn't be about, I just wanted to get past kind of the semantics of is electrification good or bad or how are we going to do it or mm-hmm. you know even getting it beyond a political you know ping pong ball it it just needs to be something that feels good and it's it's just a market driven growing field you know right. like i just wanted to get away from that and i know that that's my naive like please but it just you know it should just feel like you know, people love to be like, we need the iPhone of energy. It's like, yeah, like let's have something that feels like it's just a great consumer good mm-hmm. and not like, oh, I chose my, you know, induction stove over my gas stove. And like, you know, that had to be a massive process. And, you know, I, you just don't want that. You just want it to be easy. I just want it to be easy. For so you, <laughs> you see it, you see clean energy normalizing to the point where, of course, that's just what you do. Yes. Yeah. That's what I would like. There are other types of experts and leaders growing these businesses. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just becomes normal. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's move toward um, wrapping up here. I want to ask about your personal mission. But to summarize a bit here, the world's electrifying. We've got all these great building blocks. You guys are tackling buildings and grid resilience, grid agility, and and turning using software to turn buildings into like intelligent participants in the market to make distributed energy resources more viable, to make the grid more able to respond and absorb all these things coming online, and to help property owners make more money by greening their buildings, not hemming and hawing about how, oh, it's the right thing to do, but it's not going to pay. Right. So you're, you're making it really pay for them. And your social mission is important. It helps you build a strong team that wants to work hard, that wants to take the job over some other, you know, more, more ordinary job. And that to be optimistic about the future of the world, you know, you guys doing this work for another and your, your, your colleagues doing this work for another couple of decades, we're going to get to the place where, you know, back to your origins of, of thinking about nature and buildings and how buildings could be different is that they're like these, you know, living, productive, clean participants in our world and not a big, you know, sore thumb plunked down somewhere polluting. Does that cover it? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, anything you add to that <laughs> or change? <laughs> no, no, thank you. I, I, I love it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bottle that one up and just play it back sometimes. That's great. <laughs> I feel better already. <laughs> it's easy to turn that thermostat down behind yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we ask the same thing each time. If I were to say that Robin Beavers is on a social mission to do what? How would you describe it? You're on a mission to... Just continuously contribute to systemic change of our our global infrastructure to have that harmonious, natural, and built environment working together. All right. There you have it. Robin Beavers, CEO and founder of Blueprint Power, contributing to systemic change in our energy system, uh, making me feel better about the whole thing. Thanks so much. 
Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mission Driven. To find out more about Better Ventures, visit us at better.bc or on Twitter at Better Ventures.